morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> so this morning, uh, there's actually two two areas I want to try and cover in this session. Um, so it's it's quite a lot, as I said. It's a little bit perhaps dense in terms of uh, teaching at the moment. Um, and I can just say a few things about these two areas, and some of it will be in the form of just there's this, 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 and not necessarily elaborating so much on the thises, um, which we'll, we'll come back to that point I just made it at the end today. Um, but the two things I want to talk about and just say a little bit about are... Um, taking the energy body teachings a little bit further, specifically with regard to working with emotions. And secondly, beginning to talk about image. Okay, so <clears throat> yesterday we introduced the uh, idea of the energy body and the practice of the energy body with a particular orientation towards uh developing, moving in the direction of samadhi, of a kind of uh, well-being in the energy body, an integration, a harmonization, energization, and just uh, emphasizing that direction of intentionality. Um, and so within that, when there is anything at all um, pleasant or comfortable or even lovely in, in the energy body or in the emotions as well, so joy, uh, peace, these will reflect in a certain, certain textures and, uh, energies, if you like, wavelengths in the energy body. When, when any, anything like that is around, um, there is the possibility of le- leaning, inclining the attention towards resting in that, enjoying it, developing it. This is a direction towards what we call samadhi. So here's this, um, maybe it's just a, a kind of light sense of, open peace, but I can feel it harmonized in my whole body. Well, I can open to that. I open my body to it. I open my consciousness to it. I open my awareness to it. I become, I, I, I endeavor to, to be intimate with it, to really get close to this texture, to relish it, to taste it, to, to, to know it, yeah, really touch it, touch it with the body this loveliness, whatever it is. It, does, it could be very extremely lovely, blow your, blow your head off, could be really quite subtle, but the intention is to nuzzle into it, rub, rub yourself in it, open to it like you're sunbathing, etc. Um, become intimate with it and basically enjoy it. Yes, thou shalt enjoy. It's the first, <laughs> <laughs> the first commandment of uh, <laughs> samadhi practice um, with with the whole energy body. So it's really basically turning on a hedonistic attitude and really getting into it, yeah, bathing in it. And, and involved in that is a kind of what we could call a tuning. We're tuning, to, as I said, it's to a certain, we could say a certain wavelength of energy. Let's say the wavelength of this kind of peace or this kind of lovely tenderness or this kind of effervescent joy. It's a certain, we can, in energetic terms, it's a certain wavelength and a kind of tuning to that wavelength with my attention, but actually with my whole being. With my body, with my uh, 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 focus, with my 
mind, everything's tuning. Oh, that's the wavelength of that, that particular loveliness that's available right now. Like you tune a radio dial, you're tuning to this. Is that right? Okay. As I said yesterday, the energy body, um, will not be, cannot be lovely all the time. It cannot be open all the time. It's just not the way it works. Um, so, there is the possibility within the intention of uh, developing samadhi, within that track, there is the possibility when the energy body is not so open, it's a bit twisted or contracted or something's a bit tight or whatever it is or just not really, it's a bit agitated. There is the possibility within the direction of samadhi to, to gradually develop skills um, to... Uh, to work with those difficulties and knots and contractions so that they open up and so that the, the whole system moves towards, back towards some kind of loveliness. Okay. So that's a whole art in itself. Um, and I've talked about it elsewhere and you can certainly ask, etc. I'm just mentioning it now. Um, so there's actually ones skillfully relating to this difficulty with the intentions like, okay, how can I maybe finesse it? Or nuance it to to open up, to soften, to uh, to to move basically towards something more more comfortable, more pleasant, more well-being. Yeah, it's a skillful, deliberate intention. It's not a grasping or a forcing. Yeah, so that's all available. But as well as that intention towards samadhi and working with the difficult, there there are other intentions, and one might be well. <clears throat> Here is this difficulty, and maybe it in itself has a certain kind of intelligence. Maybe there's something <clears throat> in the middle of this difficulty that I need to honor, that I need to open to and be with, and it can somehow teach me something. I don't know what. Maybe it has a treasure in it. <clears throat> and then this opens a whole whole realm of, of possibilities in, in itself, this slightly different attitude. What is it to relate skillfully in that sense to what is difficult. <clears throat> um, so the intention here is not so much to change it, but to somehow honor it and see what uh, might be learnt, if anything, or just to be able to be with. That's all. Just to be able to be with, to bear with, to hang with the difficult. So lots of possibilities, and I'll just reel off a list here. You know, one possibility is actually learning to focus. Here's this tightness in my throat. I'm not sure. Is it an emotion? Is it is it a grief? I'm, I'm not, I don't even know yet. Okay, it's possible to very delicately focus the attention right on those sensations and just train them there. And then the question is, how much? Laser beam or really delicate? What does it need? Um, and within that, I'm, allow, I'm letting it be what it is. This moment and the next moment, I'm not saying, come on, I can just nudge you so you can be nice. That's fine. That's not like, it's not Buddhist to do that. It is Buddhist to do that. These are just different options, different orientations, okay? But in this mode, it's, it's more just allowing it, it's like, it's just like that with the hands. A little bird can land there. And then it can fly off and see what's next. And it flies off. Yeah, this is the attitude, it's a very delicate allowing and holding. One, that's one possibility. Another possibility might be, again, to bring in the whole energy body, but it, the energy body, the space of the energy body forms a context, uh, uh, a, a space, really, for this difficulty. So here's, let's say, 
uh, I don't know, I've got this tightness in my belly or solar plexus. And again, I'm not sure, is that, am I anxious or don't know yet? Well, maybe I do know. But I can then open up the energy body awareness and let this difficulty uh, sit in the middle of this, uh, Jill used the word body bubble, this space of the energy body awareness. It gives it a different context. It, do you understand? It puts it in that awareness. And oftentimes there is, in that larger awareness, there's a certain kind of, sometimes there's a certain kind of okayness. So it kind of holds it in a certain way. We can, uh, third option, we can learn to hold the difficult in love, to bring in or, let's say, access a quality of metta or compassion or tenderness or holding, again, around. So this difficulty, this contraction, this hardness, whatever it is, this knot, um, it's, again, it's almost like it's, be- it's held in a bath of something else, some warmth, some tenderness, some care. Um, so this, <coughs> this painful shard of rock is, is, uh, touched by, by something different. And you're just letting those two things come into contact with each other. The, the difficulty and, and the, and the lovely warmth. And you just, you just put them together without forcing anything to happen. You understand? I should mention, I, um, mentioned it somewhere or other, but I can't remember when, but, um, for, for those of us who've done a lot of training in mindfulness, it's often the case that when we come to work with emotions, we, uh, we use a very skillful approach, which is, okay, let me find, I see my mind is there all over the place, and there's all this stuff going on. Let me focus, again, I tune the attention to the sensations of the emotion. So it's like, oh, here's this, heaviness in my chest or whatever it is and i said can i in in my mindfulness of the emotion can i just can i just look at the sen- at the level of sensation and in a way everything simplifies yeah you familiar with what i'm talking about yes um wonderful and sometimes what can happen is that a person who does a lot of mindfulness practice insight meditation actually that becomes almost their only option it's it's like one mode of relating to uh, the the emotions. What's it missing? Well, one thing is it's missing is it's missing self and story, right? Because part of the whole idea of mindfulness is let's just kind of leave that out, okay? So for some of you, it might be interesting to introduce again, open up the the concertina, the fan of options. So what is it to be with this emotion? In this kind of bare mindfulness, supposedly bare mindfulness way, no story, no self, there's just these sensations happening in the moment. Great, one option. What would it be though to let it, uh, to bring yourself in contact with, with that whole constellation of emotion, including the self? So it's not just sensations and just emotion, it's me having the sensations. And that's important. Catherine talked about yesterday, you're going to have a practice with no self, no self, no self. I just want to kind of ignore or get rid of this self. It won't be full enough, rich enough, juicy enough, just psychologically, let alone um, soulfully. So sometimes we go into a mode, we, we, we open to a mode, it includes self, and that might include story. And then there's further differentiations. You know, what kind of self are we talking about? 
a reified self or a self that I also know is empty? A self I see as image. Do you understand? There's different kinds of kind of gradations of of the mix one can put into this, if you feel ready to explore that kind of thing. And dependent on that, dependent on what kind of self and how much self, if you like, is there, and how much story and what the attitude to the story is. This is the reality, this story. Or this story can also has the uh, liquidity in it to, to be sensed as image. Dependent on all this... The experience unfolds differently. It's dependent arising. And all that is in, is in, is in the beauty and, and the art of what we can um, explore with the difficulties. Different, slightly different am- emphases and angles. And, and different experiences open up. Different kinds of healing are available. And sometimes healing will, it won't just happen. Just looking at those sensations all day long. And actually something is not getting healed. Because there's not enough self in it. And there's not enough story. Or the story is too rigid. So, so again, it's not like there's a right answer. There's a right way to do it. Just do this one thing for the rest of your life and everything will be fine. Um, so, sometimes, another option, sometimes we can bring an image to meet the emotion. Just as we bring the meta. Uh, for example, a tenderness to, to sit around the difficulty. We can bring an image. And maybe you have imaginal figures that you, you already sense they love you and you love them. It's working okay. Um, um, and so you can bring this image. And what does this image, uh, perhaps communicate to you in your difficulty? Witnesses you there. Sees you. How do they see you? Can you see how this image is looking at this, at this dukkha? Can you see and feel how you are being gazed at? So again, there's a kind of alchemy that happens when I put the difficulty in contact with something. Yes? Just rattling through a list here. Another option is, is, um, Turning the allowing dial up to 11, as they would say in spiral tap. Um, meaning, here's the difficulty, and I'm not just kind of letting it be in the usual kind of mindfulness sense, which is great. I'm just totally, the, the thing I'm completely interested in is how much can I allow this? How much can I let go of completely, even the smallest trace of aversion or resistance? That's what I'm mostly interested in. That's a very skillful way of being. And not, some of you know what happens when you do that. It's an extremely interesting thing to try. Uh, again, rattling through the list. Um, sometimes, um, in fact, often an, an emotion, um, difficult and lovely, has a kind of um, dynamism in it. It has. It has. It's a, a vortex of moving energy, if you like, and because of that. It, you can feel that dynamism in, in the energy body. Um, so this rage or this frustration or this, uh, whatever it is, it, you can actually feel a kind of, um, power and dynamism in the energy body that's related to emotion. And because of that, uh, energy, if you like, it can, it can, uh, give birth to an image. Sometimes this is extremely gross. 
Um, so the dynamism and the power in that, that is associated with this emotion I feel in the energy body, and lo and behold, then I become a fire-bellowing dragon. Wonderful. The whole thing has has, has moved. Um, or it can be extremely subtle, or, or rather much more subtle. I'll give you a little example. Um, so, uh, I think Catherine mentioned, I've been... Um, I don't know why why it's arisen, but um, I've got all kinds of problems with my hormones now, different hormone levels. And um, uh, I can't remember if this is before or after I started the medicine, but either way, I've been feeling pretty strange. (laughs) 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 On air or off it, so I don't know. Um, So I just read you this this thing. So I was meditating in the morning, feeling so confused and discombobulated and lacking in mental capacity recently. is it possibly a consequence of the fire problem? Question mark. Anyway, um, so sitting this morning, I, I feel into the difficulty. So it's like this is what's happening, and and I, I feel this difficulty and this whole kind of uh, gestalt of the difficulty. It's mental, it's physical, and everything. And I feel the difficulty of it. I feel it as difficulty. I see there's some aversion to it. It's quite subtle, but it's definitely there. And I sense the contraction, subtle contraction in the energy body in relation to it. It's in my chest, in my throat and in my chest uh, that goes with that. So I try to work with it in different ways. Um, but the mind is not very focused, which is part of the original problem. <laughs> um, so then somehow out of this, out of my willingness to be with it and to and to be intimate with the difficulty in this kind of open way, then suddenly an image comes. And the image is of um is of an old king sitting in a room alone, or almost alone. Sitting in a room and, and the room by the way looks very very much like the living room in my in my house. Uh, which which I wasn't in at the time. Um, <laughs> Um, so he's alone in that room, except that there's this very small baby monkey with him. You know, um, and he has on this kind of mauve velvet cloak. He's very old, and he has this mauve velvet cloak on and a crown. But the crown is really not very fancy. Um, and he's lost his powers. He's lost his powers. He's really old. Yeah. And his uh, mental and spiritual powers, he, he's, he's pretty confused as well. Maybe he's uh, like got dementia or something like that. And he's completely lacking in energy. And he has to see something now. In, in, despite his state, he has to get clear about something or some kind of clarity about something, that his kingship is not his. Uh, it was given to him by the divine, by the earth, by the Buddha nature. Uh, and nor are his spiritual or mental powers his. They're not his. They never were. If death is coming, this is a time of relinquishment. He needs to, he needs to, somehow his heart needs to understand this. His soul needs to understand this. A time of relinquishment, anatta, and seeing. This is not self. This is not mine. Uh, and, and in a way of, of, uh, uh, entering, if you like, the kind of very simple state, uh, of, of the erasure of one's mental mental and spiritual powers, the simple state, just all that goes. Um, and uh, the erasure of these qualities and, and the gifts that were bestowed on him. The little monkey, this little baby monkey, um, climbs onto his chest. You know, you know <laughs> how they do. 
And um, so he's very kind of lost, and he doesn't quite even know where he is, and, and he's confused. And this little baby monkey climbs onto his chest and presses itself. Uh, um, the way very, very young babies can, can or, or they can, they're old enough to communicate love, their love, not just they're receiving love, they can communicate this love. So it presses itself against him like, like a baby, and with a very young sort of child's loving, very pure, very innocent, very sweet. So this is why I tune to. It's that. It's that interaction, uh, or is one of the things I tune to, um, and it, it's something very, very lovely. And, and you can hear it's sweet and, and is soothing and pacifying um, in in there, uh, and uh, brings a lot of a lot of tenderness and uh, kind of another level of okayness with with what's happening. Yeah. So I give you this example. Um, so sometimes. Uh, when I choose examples, I try and be really, there's different reasons for choosing them. So one is, the dukkha is involved. Okay, this wasn't an image that kind of just went around the dukkha or, or kind of ignored it. Oh, it's like, oh, that's all right. But look at this wonderful thing that's happening here. Um, so the dukkha is involved. Um, it was involved as, 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 as part of the, the crucible that gave birth to the image. And it was still there at the end of the image. It wasn't like, oh, the monkey got onto his chest and then suddenly he transformed into this kind of handsome young prince who was like <laughs> ready to rule another kingdom. Um, the image, the, the dukkha stays. It is, I don't know, what can we say? It, it receives other, other, um, harmonies with it, other dimensions. Okay. It's one of the reasons I'm choosing this image. Um, it it's more than simple anatta practice. It's more than simple just not-self, not-self. Beautiful, wonderful practice. It's something more here. It includes that, but it's more. The self, and you can obviously see the parallels there, uh, or I can, um, um, the self becomes image. There's a real, re- I felt a real relationship between me and this king, my state and this king. The self, the self-sense moves towards an imaginal self image. Do you, do you understand? Yes. Um, and and we can say there's letting go, but in a way there's more than traditionally what we understand by letting go. It's got, as I said, it's got whole other levels of dimensions and echoes and uh, juiciness around it. So this is some of the reasons why I choose this image uh, to share. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, this soul-making conceptual framework um, it includes many possible angles and approaches and intentions and directions within it. Like we said, I can do samadhi, I can be with the difficulty, I can look for image, all kinds of possibilities. When we talk about emotional awareness, in this larger soul-making paradigm, the purpose of our emotional awareness is not only to reach peace is not only to reach peace. It's not only that we work with our emotions so that they can purify and the only emotions we end up having are the four Brahma Viharas. I'm not saying it's not that, I'm saying it's not only that. Okay. There is also in this process, in this journey, the movement towards the invitation to sanctify what we tend to regard as um, unskillful or impure emotions. What does it mean to sanctify rage? 
What does it mean to sanctify fierceness, to let that become image and holy, to find the holiness, the holy roots of these kinds of emotions? Hysteria. Hatred. James Hillman said, you've got to hate something. Actually, on a soul level, there's something very wise there. You've got to hate something. What does it mean for hatred to be uh, given these extra dimensions? Uh, roaring. What is holy roaring? Madness. What is holy madness? The sanctification of being also madly in love. Priapic. Priapic. The eternally horny. What, does, what is that? What's the holiness in that? to be found in the echoes there. These things can become image, um, can find their archetypal roots. And it's not that then we identify with these things, with these, but it's that something is opened in the range of soul making. Something is opened in, in, in the soul making with them. And the range of this is so important. The range of our sacredness is opened. The range of our senses of sacredness is opened. The range of our um, images and the range of um, beauty and duty is opened. Beauty and duty. So it's not only in this framework that we're saying, have your feelings, be, be connected with your feelings, be mindful of your feelings um, on your way to peace. There's a bigger uh, invitation here. <clears throat> Sometimes um, a person is working very diligently, very with a lot of care and goodwill with their um, uh, flow of emotions, and oftentimes within with this, uh, as I said, typical sort of mindfulness mode where you kind of uh, it's just focusing on the emotions almost as sensation uh, without so much story and self but but it's just going on the person is tracking their and it's not it's actually not very fruitful or helpful i don't know if some of you have ever had had this kind of uh, relationship with difficulty where it's just, I'm, I'm aware of it i'm aware of it i'm aware of it i'm aware of it <laughs> um so there's a certain clarity there, and certainly a certain mindfulness, but there's no, going back to what I used, there's no dynamism. Nothing's happening. It's not going anywhere um, in that process. Something is stuck, and the wheels are kind of going round and round in this difficult emotion. Sometimes, I'm mentioning this because it's like four or five people have mentioned something similar to me in the last maybe month or so. Um, so sometimes with all that, there's actually frustration at the whole process. You know, I'm not supposed to be frustrated because I'm supposed to just be okay with what is. No. <laughs> I'm fed up. <laughs> I've, maybe I need to feel the um, power and the dynamism of feeling fed up. So I'm, I'm concentrating on everything else, but I'm, I'm <laughs> feeling the fed upness. It's there. I'm somehow not clocking it. It's not somehow what not allowed or, or what, or just I'm not used to feeling it. So maybe I need to feel that and allow it and allow uh, its energy. Or sometimes maybe I need to vocalize. What does that sound like? 
when I let my body express that frustration, um, or, or again, feel it in the body. Um, sometimes this, this tuning into the dynamism and allowing the dynamism, or even allowing yourself to express it, it gets things moving, it loosens things. I'm not talking about catharsis. I'm not talking about getting rid of, purifying. Here's this emotion, and if I kind of primal scream or whatever, then it, it is released. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about loosening something. Um, uh, so that an alternative flow or an alternative circuit um, can be found or introduced. So sometimes working with difficulty, um, and it might already be, there's already an image, or it might be without an image. At some point it's like, can I, can I sense, where is the dynamism in all this? What is, what is it, where's the point where there's, um, power and movement in potential? Yeah? And actually tune into that and allow that to move things. Um, so, it's, again, we're not trying to get rid of, we're, you could say in a certain language, we're, we're, um, tuning to and supporting a kind of a native intelligence in the difficulty. Yes? I'm not find the dynamism so it will kind of bugger off. Um, I'm actually, there's an intelligence here in this frustration, in this whatever it is. And, and so in this way, possible flows of energy and emotion are opened it, opened by feeling it in the energy body um, in this way and allowing it, feeling it to its power, the movement there, the dynamism. Um, different than this allowing on 11 practice that I talked about before. That will actually uh, do something different. So, um, feeling, feeling, sometimes feeling the emotion as energy, and the energy moves, and when the energy moves in the energy body, the self-sense moves. Energy body, self-sense, all these things are connected. I let the energy move, the sense of self will, will change. And sometimes when the sense of self change, an, Im- an image can come, sometimes. So, um, I use this word dynamism, not all, that all images are, uh, something so dynamic, like that image I shared of the old king and, and the monkey. Um, but out of the sense of, in that case, of weakness, of lostness and loss of power, an image was born. There was something liquid in going to the image. Um, end of part one. Is that, is that okay? I said there's a lot to get through. Is that okay? Sure. Um, alright, part two, uh, about image. Um, what is it? We use this word image, and, um, so if you just imagine right now, uh, imagine just however you're able to imagine, don't, don't worry, this is not, you don't have to like uh, get in the lotus posture or anything. Um, to just imagine uh, a toilet that you know well. <laughs> at home or uh, where you've been staying regularly or, or even upstairs or, or wherever it is. Yeah? Okay. Um, imagine, okay, you can let that way. Imagine a, a train station or a bus stop you, you can imagine well. Yeah? Imagine maybe someone who would be a neutral person in, uh, in the, in the meta practice, would fall into the neutral category. 
Yeah. So these are all images, you could say, they're imagined, even if it's not visual, you have a sense of something. Um, actually, there's a way in which we can call any perception an image, any perception at all, in a certain way of using language as an image. Yeah. So you just looking at me right now, or looking at your hand, or the, the, the room, or whatever. But what do we mean when we use this word imaginal? What's an imaginal image? There's a problem with language here, but just because it's a mouthful to say imaginal image every time. Mostly when we use the word image, we mean imaginal image. Occasionally we don't, just to keep you on your toes. Um, <laughs> um, so it's actually, there's quite a lot, it's quite a lot of richness involved in what does this mean, this word imaginal, in the, in the way that uh, we're using it in these teachings. Um, so for us, uh, th- th- there's a gradual evolution, a gradual development of understanding what's involved in, in the richness of, of that of that idea. Um, we can talk about rather than something: is it imaginal or is it not imaginal? Probably the toilet wasn't imaginal, probably. But um, but we can actually, t- rather than making it a black and white thing, we can talk a ca- about a kind of spectrum. So things can be if you like, more fully imaginal or less fully imaginal. Yeah, so rather than saying, have I got it, have I not, it's, 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 yeah. But part of what we mean when we say imaginal is that certain qualities are uh, endemic or intrinsic to the imaginal, like beauty, like eros, like um, a sense of meaningfulness, which is which is beyond just a meaning or even several meanings. There's a kind of inexhaustibility to images. I can't reduce them to just this or just that or even just this handful of things. Um, a sense of dimensionality, of unfathomability. Um, love is there with the imaginal, both ways. Um, the image, an imaginal image is sensed as autonomous at a certain level. It's not just a part of me or I'm in control of it like a little puppet or something. Oftentimes there's a sense we could even go a step further. There's a personhood, an image, even if it's not uh, an animal, or it has its own kind of personhood. Humility. Part of um, what's involved in, in, in the whole relationship or constellation when there's an imaginal image is a sense of humility here. I am somehow humble in relation to this image. Um, and duty... <laughs> Somehow, in some way, I owe something, or I'm asked something, of the, by this image, and all, and with all that and much more, there's a sense of soul making. So that when we use this imagine, word "imagine," it means it means all that and more, um, and it's, it's, these are things that happen in relationship. So it's not like the image by itself is this. The humility is here. It's it's in the subjective pole. You understand? The beauty feels like it's more over there. But the imaginal is 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 saying something about the relationship between my experience and this thing, whatever it is that I'm looking at. Just no? Um, let's say uh let, let's take that, that one of humility. So here's this image, and maybe it's fantastical, and there's, yeah, dragons and all kinds of things. Um, uh, but 
something about it is not quite juicy. It's not quite really touching. There's not really this sense of like profound soul making to it. Maybe, and I'm not saying, maybe one of the things is I check, oh, there's not humility here. And maybe it's possible. I'm, I don't feel humble. In, I don't feel like a kind of reverence or, um, and maybe sometimes it's but just noticing that it begins to open up. Something's changed in my relationship because now humility is in my relationship. And then I see the whole thing opens up and changes. Does this make sense? Um, so when we talk about imagine, we're really talking about a relationship, a whole constellation of relationship. What that means is, as, as we've just given an example, it means that something can start as imaginal with all this juiciness and richness. And if I am not careful with the relationship, it collapses and it gets flat. And whatever eros was there becomes craving and clinging. And the whole thing just gets brittle one-dimensional and, and, yeah. But also the opposite is possible. Here's this thing that didn't start out very juicy or very soul-making. It was a bit flat. Um, it was, there was definitely a good dose of craving in there, not eros. And I attend to, I work subtly with the relationship and the craving becomes eros and the papancha or the flatness becomes imaginal. It's, part of this art and the alchemy. So, it's dependent on the relationship and the conceptual framework and the way of looking at any time. Ah. When... I think today what I want to do is talk about what we might call intrapsychic images. But actually, um, we can sense the, the tree outside or this moment right now in the hall or your own body. The senses can be sensed imaginally. Like the world can be sensed imaginally and others can be sensed imaginally. We could, we could call that extrapsychic. Um, right now, just to say a little bit about intrapsychic, in other words, ones that are more apparently more internal. Okay. You guys okay? Is it is it too much? Or? Well, is it is it too much? I don't... Okay. Um, uh, so just, I don't really like... After a while, this whole distinction will lose its meaning. Intrapsychic, extrapsychic. Everything gets sensed with soul. Everything becomes, the world becomes imaginal, potentially. But right now, let's just make that distinction just for uh, teaching purposes. So when we say, this image, what do you mean image? Um, is not necessarily visual. There's a problem in language. In English, we'd say image, and you, you immediately think visual. So it's not necessarily visual. It can come predominantly through any sense, any sense or a combination of senses, or in some ways, um, somehow it doesn't, I can't even quite locate the sense. Or there's a kind of synesthesia involved. Um, all, the, all these are possible. Um, if it's visual, um, the visual detail is often not very important. And if it's aural, if it's a, a sort of aural image, sometimes the sonic detail is not important. So the clarity of form of an image is not the most important thing. We're not doing visualization concentration exercises. Yeah? Um, what's important? Soul-making is. The sense of soul-making. Sometimes the image is very vague, but the soul-making sense is there. So it's not like I have to get clearer about what the image is. I have to see it clear. Do you understand? 
I'll give you I'll give you an example. Um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> oh, there's another um, hormonal one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so struggling with the effects of hyperthyroid. Um, so not sleeping, um, it's very sort of unpleasant buzzing energy in the body, heart rate just kind of really, really fast and thumping. Um, and, and in all this, it's hard to get a sense, hard for me to kind of get a sense of, of, of like, I don't know what you'd call it, my depth of resources or even depth of perception. I feel somehow thin, spiritually thin and not easily settled. Um, um, or, or actually even in my body. So really feeling quite strange and, and not much calm, etc. So I focus on the sensations. And again, I sense the dukkha. This is just what's going on. And I, I'm recognizing this dukkha I opened here. Um, eventually, a few minutes or something, I decide I'll see it. I'll play with seeing it as empty and also me as empty. Um, and in a way, just like some anatta practice and kind of it fragments into aggregates and sense elements, etc. And then a little bit, and I mix that with a sense of the emptiness of time. I have to work a little bit at that. And, um, and then, then there's a sense of with, with that one of the ways that uh, one of the possibilities, it's like almost like, um, uh, all my whole life as kind of, slides of um like film stills you, you know it's like the whole the whole thing's there all at once um frozen timeless moments of perception experience one of the one of the possibilities that can happen um so the perception of it and me is empty in this way um and at that level at least it helps to ease the dukkha there's, there's a considerable release of dukkha and opens some quite pleasant space in the experience and there's some ease with that um, and there's a sense of the possibility of some samadhi there because of this uh, softening. But actually, it doesn't feel personal at all. What I've just done there is um, I've looked at something in a very universal way, and movement towards the universal experience, the dukkha. There's a kind of universe, and the space that opens up is a kind of universal space. Then <clears throat> my mind wanders briefly, and I remember I moved house recently, and there was a box of old tapes from years ago and some of it was um, me as a music student um, so I put some on and it was it wasn't very good and <laughs> so, okay I was just listening but anyway my mind wandered in the meditation I remembered that from whenever it was two days ago and then my mind drifted again there's a, there's a reason I'm saying all these details. So my mind drifted off again to kind of hearing some music internally as kind of like improvised jazz lines and seeing it because I've trained in music, seeing those improvised lines, uh, melodies on, on the guitar just kind of immediately. And there's a kind of fluidity in all that. So actually it's a kind of daydream. I'm just drifting off into a little daydream. The kind, but with it, there's a kind of fluidity to the, to the sort of improvisation and the way of being with it. And also with that, um, because there's a kind of relaxation of the mind and the focus slightly. It's actually really lovely. I mean, it's this sort of, um, this, this kind of quality of free-flowing music sort of in the ether, if you like. Um, it's lovely. And I then, then something shifts and I sense, um, just comes, I am this music. I mentioned this the other day. I am this music. I am the music I make. I am the music I make. 
I am, my being is, my person is music. Um, I am played. I am being played. My life is music. It's really hard to articulate in words. My essence is music. And it's personal because it's this music. At that point, the music that I was hearing was not that clear. The soul-making sense was in this different, I don't know, is it an image? Because it's not, what, what sense is it in? It's not, it wasn't like, oh, I really hear this music clearly at this point. The image sense is this, there's an image of self, but it's really an idea of self. But there was the soul-making sense. Is this making any sense? Yes? So this, this is where the juice is. This is where the soul making. So this is what I allowed the perfume of, of that to, to, to move through my being and I allowed myself to be touched by that. Um, it, and it's personal because it's this music. Um, it's a particular music as if my life is these sounds, these melodies, these harmonies, these rhythms happening in time and eternal given to me as me and created by me given to me and made by me and and created contingently on dependent on in interaction with the circumstances of my life the situations the events all that so the emptiness sense that i had worked on a few minutes before that's still there but now it's added to by this very personal poetic sense of this existence, this existence in this very different sense sense of it, including the dukkha and including the challenges, they were part of the music. You understand? And I mean all of it, all of it. Um, and there's this tremendous beauty here, um, uh, and and there's a big relief of of um, of the dukkha, like a whole other level. The sensations are still there. So I'm not going for some, you know, you can go all the way to fading, just the sensations disappear and everything. It's not doing that. It's, it's taking it in a certain direction where the dukkha stays, but it's, it's, um, it's made holy. Yes. So, um, again, why this example? Uh, of many we could choose. Um, because, the 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 form of the image is not clear. I could have chosen. Let me really hear that music clearly. So maybe I can write it down later and whatever. No, that that wasn't where the soul making was. It was in a kind of it was in much more amorphous sense of things. Um, uh, I choose that example as well because, again, it came from dukkha and it included dukkha. Um, it included a couple of moments, at least, of of the mind wandering, and and you know what? There can be it's it's okay. There, there was the opportunism. Look, the mind wandered. It was like whatever. That it's not a problem. What it wandered to became image, became fertile soil. Okay. There's a opportunistic response, responsivity in, in, in the practice. Yeah. It's not about, can I just really, you know, stay with this one thing or whatever. Um, um, again, there's, there's emptiness, but actually there's more than emptiness that we're talking about. Again, the self has, in this case, very much become image, but it's not clear what's the, it's not a visual image. It's not particularly an aural image. 
Um, and also this example, because implicit in that, or actually more than implicit, um, is a whole kind of, if you like, a kind of anthropology and cosmopoesis. If you say to a scientist, I am music, I say, well, I'll put you under a microscope, I don't, I don't see it, or I put it <laughs> I can't hear it. There's a whole implicit kind of poetic anthropology. What is a human being? What is this cosmos? Yeah. So idea is wrapped up in the in the whole imaginal sense. Yes. Okie doke. So um, we're not with the soul making sense is what's important. Um, uh, someone. When I first started teaching imaginal, I, I think I gave a series of talks somewhere, and then someone came to me and um, and they said after a few talks, "Oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about ghosts." And I was like, Oof. <laughs> "Wow." Um, so, uh, I, on the last retreat we did, some of some of you were there, um, not not at Guy House. Um, I was in, in bed at night and. Suddenly, someone came into my room, and I sort of sat up and turned round, and it was this little um, old old woman, and uh, we sort of l- looked at each other, and she just tur- turned and went out. And afterwards, I said, uh, when we were packing up, that the people that were helping clear up, uh, who who worked there, um, they said, "Oh, did you see? Did you see the ghost?" <laughs> and um, I was like, "Oh, it's funny you say that because." <laughs> Now, that instance, there was nothing soul-making in it at all. There's an image, if you like. Um, it was weird, slightly. Um, it was kind of, yeah. But there was, no, there was no soulfulness there. It's not imaginal. It's something else, okay? Um, we were here once in a teacher meeting, and uh, someone took a photo of one of the teachers. I went, it doesn't matter who. And, um, and, uh, and I, I guess they... I must have been on a digital camera or something anyway, but they saw the photo right then. And it had, um, in his chest, it had a, a kind of ball of white light. And some people were like, oh, something refracted wrong in the light. And other teachers were like, oh, a deva. <laughs> um, now, probably for the people who said it's just, it's just light got in the camera somehow, it's not soul making. But some of the people who said, oh, it's a deva, it was like, oh, it's a deva. <laughs> it wasn't soul making at all, it's just like, you know. So, this, it's the sense of soul making that matters. Now, it could, e- actually, either one, the mystery of light and refraction and the, the, the could be soul making. It's not in the thing. It's in how we relate to it and what happens in that, in that moment, whether it's soul making or not. Okay. Um, alright. <clears throat> let me, let me zip through, th- through some practice possibilities. Um, it's talking about intrapsychic images. How, how can we work with them? How can we kind of support uh, contacting them, etc.? Number one, um, play with any practice that liquefies. Any practice like samadhi or emptiness practices that you know or metta. These, um, actually what they're doing in technical languages, they're fabricating less. And in that less fabrication, there's a kind of liquefying. So you do that and you enjoy it. And then after a while, you can kind of just come out a little bit, just relax the attention a little bit. Everything has got kind of liquefied, and that can be a very fertile kind of ground out of which images may arise. 
Okay. Um, second, I've already touched on, is an emotion that's there, whether it's difficult or whether it's beautiful, has enough energy in it that um, if I feel it in the energy body, it can give rise to an image. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's got some um, genetic energy in it that can that can uh, so through through the emotion. Emotion has energy wrapped up in it. That energy felt in the energy body can give rise to image. Um, third, I used to, when I was first trying to explore all this, I used to, um, what, what I found really helpful was imagining, actually deliberately imagining, going to certain places. Um, and they, there were places where I would just wait and an image would arise. And after a while, one, one, I don't, I don't do it anymore, but one, one that, uh, became quite common for me was somehow a prison cell, uh, in, down in a basement. And I would go down and, and I would be in this prison cell as, as the prisoner, usually. Um, and, and there, and then different images would come. Um, but it might be under a big tree or, you know, down another staircase somewhere or whatever. It might be a certain place that you go that just becomes the place where Im- you can meet images. Um, Fourth, um, you already have plenty of images or potential images in your life. People, um, historical figures, places, Gaia House might be an image to you, or certain teachers, or, um, or memories. So there's lots in your life that's already potentially imaginal. Sometimes you can br- deliberately bring that. I never met John Coltrane. He's an imaginal figure for me, or or some other musicians, or um, loads of people. They're they're historical figures, but they they function in my psyche as as potential imaginal images. So you can bring them. There might be that you've worked fifth one. Might be you've worked um, before with an image, uh, and and it felt fruitful, and you can deliberately bring that back. Um, sixth. Um, a dream that feels like it's really touched you in some way is potentially you can bring that um, and, and work with that dream image. And seventh is a prescribed image. So sometimes we're teaching and we just pick up on an image or offer an image um, or an image from somewhere else, a tantric deity or whatever. That's another option. And And... In working with an image, um, the awareness, you want to keep including the whole energy body and the emotional state and the fluidity of that. It's okay, as I said, you, you're going to lose focus. It's fine, you just come back. No big deal. Um, and what we're really tuning to is the sense of soul-making. Uh, that tuning to the sense of soul-making, Im- implied in that is, is that... Um, Mindfulness and sensitivity are very much part of this practice, very much. And again, th- there's a sense sometimes of like, which direction in, in this, in this image, which direction, uh, or what aspect of it gives the soul making? So if I go back to that music image, if I, I could have gone more clearly to the, to the hearing the music more clearly, but that wasn't really where the soul making was at. So it's a sense of like guiding that way. Um, you guys look tired, so I'm gonna stop. Although I have more to say. Um, no, that that there, there's seven, but there's just more. There was other stuff I was gonna say, but 
I mean, it could be that you're not, and you're just like looking that way, but... Uh, <laughs> let's somehow find a time later to finish this. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll jiggle things about, um, and I'll find a time to say the rest of this. Let's just, let's just sit just for a minute or so together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.